Happy Monday, everybody. Tim Priester with Tim O'Malley from Irish Illustrated, joined by John Bryce of Football Scoop and Irish Illustrated. It is a uh, 18 days until Notre Dame takes on Oregon State in the bowl game, nine days away from signing at least 23 uh, class of 2024 high school recruits. A bunch of news happening with Notre Dame. Howard Cross coming back to uh, to handle the inside of Notre Dame's defensive line, which is a which is a huge addition to the 2024 roster. Bo Collins. The Clemson wide receiver has committed to Notre Dame. Mitch Jeter, a kicker out of South Carolina, appears to be headed in Notre Dame's direction. That is not official, but what is official is that Mike Brown is the new wide receivers coach at Notre Dame. Tim O'Malley, what's on your mind? Howard Cross, um, we had been told a while ago that it was probably going to happen, but it's still nice to hear because there are many ways you can decide to go pro if you're a college graduate and have your master's degree and are, and are probably ready to roll. But Cross is a, uh, I wrote about it today. It's if he's not a six star, like Brian Kelly used to say, he is a true college five star because that's one of the best players on Notre Dame's football team. Tim, I think when we do our rankings and JB, I might have him as the number one defensive player on the team, even though his teammate won the uh, national defensive player of the year award from one outlet. So I thought Howard Cross was a huge addition. Uh, Bo Collins, of course, our Tom Loy was all over that when we had a feeling that was coming too. Um, and I read your review of Mitch Jeter. I like it. I like Spencer Schrader. I don't want to go down a rabbit hole of Spencer Schrader, but man, he was probably one important kick away from people loving the guy, you know, cause he could just, he could, he's going to be a good pro. He's going to be a better pro than he was for Notre Dame, but they got the right guy. Then he just missed a couple kicks and this, that's a make or miss position, man. JB, what are you yeah. thinking today? Yeah. With, um, with cross return, um, just being named an all American earlier today, uh, officially, um, Marcus Freeman wants us to be an O-line and D-line driven program. As I've harped on several times, you need older bodies in those spaces. Uh, it's, it's huge. It's a linchpin foundational piece that you know you bring back along your defensive interior for 2024. He's a guy I would expect to be a captain in 2024. He's just a, a tremendous, uh, he's a tremendous value add for Notre Dame. One that's a, a maybe was expected here down the stretch, but it's still a pleasant surprise for Notre Dame when you get a guy like that who embraces the opportunity to return uh, and just what he means to the program. Mike Brown being official, I like that hire. I think it's a nice move for Notre Dame, as we've already discussed quite a bit on last Monday's pod, and then Notre Dame selectively adding key components via the transfer portal, and we don't expect them to be done. We expect them to add the, the keyest component here in the coming days. Yeah, Bo Collins, uh, an interesting guy to uh, evaluate. Um, you know, I liked I like Chris Mitchell. I, I I think that he is a significant piece moving forward. Bo Collins has really battled injuries. When you start to dig into it, he's had he's had shoulder injuries. He's had well, he had he admitted to separating his shoulder against Notre Dame last year. Maybe that was news to everybody around Clemson. Once that game was over, we're not following the opposing players, but he separated his shoulder against Notre Dame last year. He's, he's really battled through injuries, but you know what, when he's healthy, he's a good football player. He's not, when you look at him, you think, okay, boundary receiver, deep threat. And I think he can do that, but I don't think that that's his strength. I think his strength is carving out space in, uh, against zone defenses. Uh, he has good size. He has great hands. He's got that 
you know, he's got that body, the typical long, long arms, big hands that when you see him catch a football, you know, I mean, he's just swallowing it. I don't think, you know, people are like, well, who's the number one? Josh Kelly is not going to come to Notre Dame from Washington State. Uh, maybe he was. I don't know if there's still a true number one. Chris Chris Mitchell is a is is a probably more of a downfield threat than Bo Collins. But what Collins does is he carves out space, and then he'll do a double move because he's best underneath, and so defenders defenders start overplaying him. And he'll do a double move and go deep and and hit something deep. So nice catch that that uh, I, I know a lot of people would like a third receiver. I'm not sure that that will definitely happen. But when you put Mitchell and Collins in this group with the three freshmen coming in, I, I they've I think they've gone a long way towards solving their issues at wide receiver. You mentioned number ones, and I have a long-standing credo in the offseason. If I think someone's going to be great before their freshman year, and they're just pretty good, I still think they're going to be great before their sophomore year, going into their sophomore year. I really think Jaden Greathouse is going to be the number one wide receiver on the team. I, I mean, he certainly he certainly has an opportunity to do that. And, you know, I mean, he's he Greathouse isn't as big as Collins, but they kind of remind. They do remind me, yeah. To, yeah. Right? Because, again, and I know we're saying, oh, they got too many slot receivers Look, you've got you've got good receivers. You got a good receiver room. Figure it out. I think great house. I think they had too many slot receivers for freshmen because they didn't they 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 were heads were swimming. They didn't know how to learn another position as freshmen. I mean, you couldn't ask Faison to do anything else at that point. You called him up for game seven. It's, what are you going to go make him your ex? That's really hard to do. So I think great house should will have to learn another position so he can play alongside Faison once in a while. And the people I've talked to in Texas uh, about great house during his recruitment all raved about his football IQ. And I think we saw glimpses of that in year one here at Notre Dame. And so I do think he has good runway in front of him to continue to involve and enhance his roles because of his football IQ. I can see him being the leading receiver next year. I still am curious to see, would like to see a full healthy season out of Jaden Thomas. Yeah. And, and, you know, as far as Howard Cross the third, I think we've all come to understand in recent years that, you know, he marches by the, you know, his own beat and he's like, certainly he's ready to move on to the NFL, but he wants a master's degree. So he's going to get a master's degree from Notre Dame. He's just a, you know, he's just a mature forward thinking guy. Football obviously is extremely important to him. Uh, but I think he has a, a viewpoint of the big picture of his life. And this is a great opportunity for him. I'm glad you explained that what you meant by marches to a different beat because whatever anyone says that I think of like Troy Nicholas for people's first thought yeah, is going to be that that is not what much you different, meant by Howard Cross. Much different. Yeah. yeah, and I would just quickly uh, wrap up on my end with Howard Cross and saying this also um, is quite likely an example of NIL working the way it's supposed to work. These guys get their NFL draft grades or or sort of their consensus evals. They talk about it. They evaluate the options. They can see what kind of NIL deals they can negotiate for 2024, come back, get a master's, work on your craft even more, become an even more beloved member of this program. And like I said, very likely become a captain and also get a noteworthy NIL opportunity in the process. Well, he is a six star for Notre Dame as Tim, as you referred. And, and I, I could argue right there with you that he was the most defensive, uh, most valuable player on the defensive side of the football. The roles are completely different. One's up yeah. front, one's in back. They're both very important, but at the point of attack, as much as Notre Dame's defensive line improved 
from where we thought they were going to be. Howard Cross was was a, a huge part of that, along with Riley Mills. We'll address Riley Mills with a question in the second second segment. The actual only good problem to have. Anytime people say it's a good problem to have, who is the best player on the defense? The guy that yeah. won the National Defensive Player of the Year award or the guy coming back for sure? Yeah, I do want to talk about Peter, and I know it's a little premature on, on him because that that is not official. Um, interesting kicker, straight end over end. I don't see any hook or tail, which you generally see from, we used to say soccer style kickers. Everybody kicks that way now. But <laughs> yeah. It was always like, it was always kind of thought that the angle of the, the foot is what causes that, that slice or hook. You do not see that which, with Mitch Jeter. It's direct end over end. He doesn't have as much distance as Spencer Schrader did, uh, but he is extremely accurate. He has never missed a college field goal under 50 yards. He's 23 of 25. He's three of five from beyond 50. He has missed, you know what, he's missed more extra points than field goals, and I did not see film on the missed extra points. So I don't know. Those could be bad snaps, bad holds, bad blocking. I don't know, but... A guy right. who hits 23 out of 25 field goals, I think, is is going to be pretty accurate if he ends up coming at Notre, coming to Notre Dame. I thought it was great, uh, just very quickly here, JV, that Marty Biaggi just kind of admitted, yeah, we're always going to get a graduate student kicker because you want to, you know, you know, put your entire trust in life in a freshman kicker coming in. Like, imagine how much Lou Holtz would have liked to be able to bring in a graduate transfer kicker for all his seasons at Notre Dame as opposed to wondering what was going to happen. Well, I was just going to make the point that, that Jeter has kicked in big stadiums. Uh, he's been in some big settings, and he's worked with one of the best special teams coaches in all of college football and Pete Limbo. So he's got an opportunity if, if Notre Dame completes this uh, this chance to sign him to, to go from a guy in Pete Limbo who was runner-up a year ago to Brian Mason for our football scoop special teams coach of the year to a guy in Marty Biaggi, who's also a past finalist for the football scoop special teams coach of the year. So he's been around some really good coaching. I think that matters. I think that helps. I think his experience in SEC stadiums also means he could come into Notre Dame completely undaunted. I think I think that's a good point, John. And at, for the record, Tim, I'll, I'll let you jump in there. For the record, against Notre Dame last year in the Gator Bowl, uh, Mitch Jeter was five for five on extra points, and he had one field goal attempt and was from 45 yards. And he successfully converted that one. I quickly, I quickly, missed, I quickly looked. He oh, missed sorry, in twenty-two. He, he was, yeah, yeah. He was eleven for eleven in twenty. Somebody asked what, like, why didn't he kick more field goals? I, I don't know that I can answer that. I mean, I, I guess I didn't look at fourth down attempts by South Carolina. They scored more in twenty-two than they did in twenty-three. I don't think it directly applies to Mitch Cheater. I just wanted to say that uh, this was in the back of my mind, so I quickly looked it up. Justin Yoon's the most, yeah, if he's not the best, he's the most accurate kicker in Notre Dame history. You know, he missed six extra points. Oh, God. Isn't that weird to think of? Because, I mean, he, it's just, he missed two in three different years. It's just a strange, that it's an odd thing weird. for Justin Yoon. I just remember talking to him once, um, and he kind of laughed because I'm sure he's very particular about every aspect of kicking. And I mentioned to him something about September is the only time he ever really struggled at Notre Dame. And he struggled three out of four Septembers. And I talked to him about it once. He's like, I really didn't think anybody else would notice that. But yeah, it was always a little bit off (laughs) September. And then Mike Birch, who was media relations at the time, looked at him. He's like, you realize you're screwing us for this September, right? But he was fine in December of 2018 or September 2018. For the record, Spencer Schrader made all of his uh, extra point attempts this year. Hey, Riley Leonard, uh, we would think that a decision is imminent. 
There's been a lot of talk about other schools. Tom uh, Tom Loy from 24-7 Sports continues to chime in periodically to indicate that it's still rock solid for Notre Dame. I know that everybody would like to uh, hear the words or see the tweet or whatever, however he chooses to to announce it. I, I understand that Sam Hartman went on Instagram uh, here today to announce his decision of moving on. But uh, Riley Leonard, come on down, man. The the wide receiver core is getting better and better as we speak. Yeah, Tiloy and I have talked quite a bit in this process uh, as it's evolved because a, a couple of weeks ago, um, as we discussed here, Notre Dame was facing an extremely uphill battle with Riley Leonard. Um, things had taken a weird twist the weekend after Thanksgiving. Uh, Notre Dame has done tremendous work since then. Uh, Loy and I, I think, in lockstep agreement, feel very confidently about where the Irish stand with Riley Leonard. And I would note this. I think Tom re- referred to some of it also on the board last week, even though he was supposed to be vacationing, knucklehead. Um, and that is that um, Ohio State has and did try to make a late push on Riley Leonard. I think they tried to um, maybe show what quarterbacks had, had done in their offense in recent years versus maybe where Sam Hartman's numbers dipped a bit this year. But my understanding is that Riley Leonard wasn't particularly overly receptive to Ohio State's advances. Comments? Yeah, maybe, well, you know, maybe he just wants to talk to his professors and figure out which school fits him best. Wait, wait, that's different. I, Sorry, that's recruiting freshman. My, that's my belt. My bad. That no. was Riley Leonard. No, they uh, – I really, at this point, it's funny. You're looking at like, as, as things shake down, if you would have said, well, they won't get Riley Leonard, but they'll get someone else a month ago. That'd have been fine. The someone else's are going away. This became a incredibly important get to get Riley Leonard. Yeah. I know a lot of people, pe- people are asking about, you know, plan B or what Ugh. it's difficult to do that. I mean, how do you recruit a second guy when the whole world knows that Riley Leonard is the guy that yeah want? It's similar to, it's not apples to apples, but when someone at Notre Dame told me, you have no idea how fast things have to happen with your own roster. And I think what he kind of meant was, it's not just deciding to keep this player that could be a grad student or could transfer. It's all the things that happen if you do keep him or don't keep him. You know, I was kind of doing like, how would you get rid of this guy? But think of it this way, Riley, as I said, a couple weeks ago, Tim, we were going back and forth. I think it was on a Thursday with Pete Sampson. Who would you rather have a quarterback? And I don't think any of us said we absolutely has to be Riley Leonard, but now it's a position where it absolutely has to be Riley Leonard. Yeah. By the way, uh, two former Nordane players have committed elsewhere. Center Zeke Carell will be heading to NC State uh, and defensive end. Now, no, Safa Mensa will be going to TCU, going back to his home state. Those are. Those are nice landing spots and great yeah. opportunities yeah. for those two to, to play on a, a regular basis. Zeke Krell, I know Zeke Krell got a lot of a lot of crap from people about what he couldn't do at guard and sometimes when he was beaten at center, but that was a tough kid who went out there 31, started 31 games, I think it was, um, and, and was a mainstay, was a guy that you could count on week after week to be there. I know that you know, he just didn't, he didn't have the size to always have the proper leverage and got overrun. But I think by and large, he, considering the way he struggled a little bit early on, especially at guard, I thought he really straightened things out and put his, uh, the direction of his, his career in the right direction. Yeah, I was quick, like Zeke. Go ahead, John. I was just going to say two quick notes on Zeke. You know, he had to be tough. He was the youngest of nine siblings. So that had to be uh, quite a chore growing up in that household. And then another thing um, that I think is fair to point out is 
yeah, he had some some physical limitations. He also dealt with three coaches in four years, and that's tough. Uh, we oh, talk yeah. about the need for continuity and consistency, and he didn't get a chance to build off um, the most extensive playing time he had had in 2022 moving forward with Harry Heastan because he had yet another transition. And so, um, and now he's going to have yet another transition to a fourth coach in five years, but good for him getting a good opportunity in the ACC. I'd love to know, and we're never going to find out <laughs> where the coaches actually graded him senior year, whatever it was, uh, fifth year senior this year versus senior year in 2022. I bet he's still graded better this year. I actually, I did think he would, I thought he would be better this year than he ended up being. Is that because I thought he didn't play really well against Duke and Louisville, and that was a loss and a very near loss. Um, but then again, I thought he played well against Ohio State. So yeah. there's yeah, there's a couple ways of looking at it, I suppose. I mean, I think where he got better was he was more assignment correct by the time he was walking out the door or, or, or yeah. um, no longer in the starting lineup. But I just there were some physical limitations that he couldn't overcome. Before we jump, uh, before we go into segment two, I wanted to real quickly say that Talk about the, the Heisman voting. Of course, Jaden Daniels won over uh, Michael Penix Jr. Uh, Bo Nix was fourth, correct? Was he not? Marvin Harrison was third. Bo Nix was fourth. No, Nix you're right. Bo Nix. I think Harrison was Bo fourth. Nix. Yeah. yeah, you're right. Uh, I'm looking at uh, uh, Tom Zwiller. Tom, the intern, put out a, a poll, and, and uh, Irish Illustrated voters, uh, subscribers voted on that. They had Jaden Dan Daniels had 45% of the vote. Michael Penix had 40%. Marvin Harrison had 12%, Bo Nix 3%. Some clown went on Twitter yesterday and I just couldn't help myself to, I mean. Oh, the, I didn't Jane, see it, thankfully. Oh, Gene <laughs> Daniels, the, the worst winner of the Heisman Trophy ever, uh, ever. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah, the worst ever. 50 touchdowns. I realize a bunch of those were against Grambling and, and Georgia State. Um, wow, that's a crazy comment. You know, but yeah, that's a crazy comment. So I had to fight back. I had to call it ludicrous. <laughs> I mean, I, look, had Michael Penix won it, I wouldn't have an argument with that. But I think that I, when you look at the stat, it, I, it's not always stats. I get that. But, you know, Penix threw for about 300 more yards. He played an extra game. He had he had the, um, uh, you know, conference championship game. Penix was 33 touchdowns, nine interceptions. Daniels was 40 touchdowns, four interceptions. His completion percentage was 7% higher. He had the running threat, which Penix did not offer. I don't have a problem with it. It's not a team award. Somewhere along the line, people have made it a team award. It's not. It's the best player in the country. It's why Paul Horning won it in 1956, in addition to being playing at Notre Dame, when the media loved Notre Dame. Um, it's an, indiv- that, that yeah. it's an, yeah, it's an end of they, they did back then. It's the individual award. Jane Daniels will want it. I wouldn't argue if Michael Penix won it, but I think Jane Daniels is a worthy winner. He was a damn magician on the field sometimes this year and last year. And I'm glad Caleb Williams didn't repeat. That would have been unfortunate. When Why people say, are, are you a hater? I actually am. I don't want people to repeat winning a Heisman trophy. I've decided I don't want that to happen. I'm just going to be a hater. Uh, with that, I very rarely wish ill will. I don't want guys to win the Heisman Trophy twice. There I can't go, believe the, the folks who are just listening to this sweet audio can't see you sipping on Haterade at home right now. <laughs> you um, And as for the worst Heisman Trophy winners ever, um, I would say that you could argue Gino Toretta. Yes. 
yeah, uh, Chris absolutely. Winky, Chris Winky, and um, Jason White have all entered the chat. So, all right, I was going to not bring this up because I have been angry about it for three decades. Gino Toretta was about the fifteenth best player on his football team when he won the Heisman Trophy. <laughs> True. That's that's when it started becoming an award yes. for the the quarterback on the best team. Yeah. yeah. And that's that's not what the award was ever intended to be. And I'm but, sure he's a great guy, but all the linebackers were better. All of his receivers were better. <laughs> this is just this is just ridiculous. Yeah. I'm glad Bryce brought that up so they people could confuse me and JB and that he could he could be blamed for this one, but I'm with you on Toretta. You've heard us talk about home field apparel since the start of the season. There are a lot of collegiate apparel brands out there. But we wanted to partner with Homefield because their designs are the best out there. Some of Irish Illustrated's favorites are the Sam Hartman Victory Tee, the Script Tee, and the Retro Long Sleeve. Be sure to go to homefieldapparel.com, filter by Notre Dame, and see what we're talking about. There's also currently an exclusive football bundle, which includes a baseball tee, sweats, a hoodie, and more. It's the perfect gift for a fellow Irish fan or a perfect gift to treat yourself for being a loyal Notre Dame fan. And our listeners get an exclusive deal using code Irish Illustrated. Irish Illustrated gets you 15% off your first order. We know you're all wearing Notre Dame gear, so if you're in need of a refresh, we really think you should check out Homefield Apparel. Their designs are super unique, and a lot of thought goes into each concept. There's really nothing else on the market like what Homefield is doing. You can find them at homefieldapparel.com. And again, use code Irish Illustrated for 15% off your first order. Segment two, burning up the boards coming up. If you're coming to a game this season, you have to check out Game Day Your Way, the official tailgate service provider of Notre Dame. Game Day Your Way offers everything you need, including tailgate gear, catering, and even beverage delivery right to your spot. And their Irish Express transportation from Chicago allows you to tailgate while you travel to their all-inclusive party zone in South Bend. Let game day deal with all the hassle so you can focus on the fun. For tailgates, tickets, transportation, and more, visit gamedayyourway.com. Welcome back to segment two, Burning Up the Boards. Our first question is from JackMac99, and it is probably the second most important question of the offseason. With Howard Cross coming back next year, do you think that decision will sway Riley Mills to stay? Well, it certainly won't hurt. We we know that. And, and, And I mean, I think we all kind of concur that 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 will help Notre Dame um you know Howard Cross is um a, a guy that other players follow I I wouldn't imagine that Riley Mills got a grade that said first or second round and so I think it's I think it's important um it's significantly important to Notre Dame's interior defensive line next year I'm sure Gabe Rubio could jump right into the starting lineup and do a fine job but you're better off with Rubio as your third interior defensive lineman and to have that cross mills combination in the middle would uh, would be huge for Notre Dame yeah and I think there's I, I get the sense on campus that there's some some optimism that they believe they've got a real good shot to retain Riley Mills and again I'm not uh, singling Notre Dame out because this is happening a bunch of different places but this is how NIL is supposed to work and this is the vision for it this is another opportunity much like Howard Cross where Riley Mills can get some NIL deals, come back to Notre Dame, spend another year, earn money the legitimate way via NIL, um, via the fund or whatever, and then continue to enhance his craft and then try his luck in the NFL a year from now. So so nothing official, but definitely cautious optimism on campus surrounding the return of Riley Mills. Yeah, I'm sure Cross put in the good word already. 
<laughs> explaining everything and how well yeah. it could go. Yeah. Um, yeah, if Riley Mills was hell bent on going, he this wouldn't sway him to stay. Yeah. But I, he never was hell bent on going. I don't think. I the the question. I mean, we've said for at least Pete and I said like a month ago. I had to guess. I would guess he would stay. But that was kind of flying in the face of convention because we know he put his name in last year. Right. Right. Um, you know, and he knows the last time we had an opportunity to speak with him, he knows that the second half of the season or whenever that, that, uh, switch was flipped with him, he became a much better football player, but there's still more to be done, uh, before he's completely ready for the NFL. And, uh, and, you know, hopefully it comes back from Nordame's perspective. And again, we always talk about in terms of what's good for Nordame, what's good for the player. I think in this instance, Kim coming back is good for both. Yes. Um, and very quickly, uh, this was in the, when I did the projected depth chart for the bowl game, I mean, we assume JJB is opting out from all we've heard. And I know Safa Mensa, his backup has opted out. You wonder if there's a one game situation where Riley Mills moves back to strong side defensive end, mm-hmm. like he played last year and Gabriel Rubio can start. And then you have three quality defensive linemen starting because you could, I mean, it's just got to be a first down first and 10 situation. Then Mills can pop back inside and you bring in yeah. the package. Uh, we haven't heard a, a lot about uh, John Baptiste about his decision here recently. That hasn't changed JB has it. I mean, he's, he's going to, he's going to opt out. Yeah. Yes, yeah. exactly. I think he's okay. uh, accepted an all-star bid. Yeah. And All that. Yes. Opting out. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Um, I, I want to throw in, you know, in, a, in, I said nine days till signing day, Sean Sevillano is a big dude. I don't know, Tim, if you've had a chance to go over all the senior film yet. Uh, and JB, I'm not sure if you're going to participate in that. I, I threw that out at you, but Sevillano has one big dude and he is, he is very quick off the snap of the football. He's got to be very careful about uh, his physical conditioning as he moves forward because he has to stay on top of that. But He's a presence there. I think he's a guy that, uh, you know, he might be able to make a little bit of a contribution early on. Question from Tater's dad one. If the staff convinces both Angeli and Minchie to stay, would this year signal the end of the yearly portal quarterback search for Notre Dame football? I mean, that is the plan anyway. This is the end of the yearly quarterback search for Notre Dame football. So if those two both stay with CJ Carr and Deuce Knight, you 100% cannot go get a portal quarterback unless he is the Heisman Trophy winner that's not available. <laughs> coming yeah. to, Tim and I have been joking on these things. You're not getting Tim Tebow in the in the portal. Well, the only reason you go after some of the portal, all four are there, is that situation. Because then you don't care who transfers if you get Tim Tebow in the portal. But I would assume with Deuce Knight coming in, if those two both stay for this year, they're not, they're not going to have those four quarterbacks hanging out yeah. next yeah. year. Yeah, and I think it's imperative that they get to the end of it. You know, you, yeah. you use Riley Leonard for that bridge. You got CJ Carr coming in early. Um, you let Minchie and Angeli continue to develop, and you go forward from there. But it, it, it's got to be the end of it. Deuce Knight, what a spectacular athlete. Have you seen this? Yeah, can, you, can you imagine CJ wow. Carr, like, coming, like, has a really good year as one of the backups, and then Deuce Knight comes into camp, and Angeli and Minchie are both there. One of them's like, yeah, I mean, at some point, there's no way all four are staying. The four can't stay through next spring. That's just right. ridiculous. Yeah. I would advise them not to for crying out loud, but I, you got to hope that, you know, obviously you, you, you hope they both stay and compete through the whole spring of this year. Mm-hmm. And then honestly, I think one will transfer before the season starts. However, you could convince them both to stay because the backup competition 
with CJ Carr should be wide open all the way through this the regular season of next year. It's Riley Leonard and three backups. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt about it. And for Angeli's sake, you hope that he, he does put a good, you know, put yeah. some good tape out there from this game. If that uh, ends up being what his intentions are, we, we would anticipate that Angeli would be the one to pull the trigger first, but that's not necessarily no, true. It's unnecessary. It's just his clock is one year in advance of Minchie's. Minchie has technically not started his eligibility clock. So that's, that's yeah. the difference. Right. We have a, a double question here that I put together. One, the first one from MN Irish 2019. How do Notre Dame's portal acquisitions compare relative to the guys they are replacing? Can you grade the overall work Notre Dame has done in the portal on a scale of one to 10? And what work does Notre Dame have left to do in the portal to elevate the 2024 team into a playoff team? And then a second question from West Coast Irish. All things equal, would Notre Dame be better with Merriweather and Flores returning or Mitchell and Collins replacing them? Let's start with the first question, Tim. Well, I'm writing a story on this now, so I don't want to step all over it. Um, does Howard Cross count? He's not going to the portal. Um, I mean, Howard Cross is their number one retent. Retention. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't, I, I don't think that that's uh, who was referenced here in this. Yeah, well, then they have too much work to do to say that they're doing better in the portal than they did in what they lost because they lost. Well, Leofau doesn't count either. So you lost Flores is the most important. Tyree is two. You could argue Merriweather's two because he has a higher ceiling. Uh, they told Osafa Mensa and Corel to go. So I'm not sure how we could argue that. I don't know. Maybe I don't, they lost I, a lot of second string guys and brought in a starter and a couple of guys that can start. I, this this question has to go until uh, mid January. Well, let's just comp- let's just compare the Merriweather Flores duo to the Mitchell Collins JB. Um, I would say right now it's probably level. Um, because I still think Rico has so much upside, yeah. and so um. I don't know how much it was realistic to count on Tobias Merriweather moving forward by the end of the season with just sort of how wayward he was and, and what we saw from him on the field down the stretch. He, he made a couple of plays. He still showed some effort blocking, but there was zero consistency there. Um, and so if you look at it from a from a Mitchell Collins versus Flores, then I think that, that Notre Dame definitely upgraded right there. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it depends upon what you think Tobias Merriweather is going to do moving forward. We just, we never saw evidence that the the light really fully turned on. And so now you're comparing, and I think we all think Flores is going to be a, a, a good football player. He already was. But we're comparing that duo to uh, Chris Mitchell, who caught 100 passes at Florida International, and Bo Collins, that caught 91 for Clemson. So... Um, I mean, in that exact comparison, at least in the short term, I think Notre Dame wins that that trade-off. This is a weird theoretical because he left Flores, but you're also comparing three years of Flores to one year apiece of Mitchell and Collins. Yeah. I think realistically you're recruiting Tobias Merriweather again next year if he happened to stay this year, even no matter what he does to the NFL, to the transfer portal, to the crazy NFL. Like, I think you're always recruiting Tobias Merriweather and your team. So I would go Flores 1, Mitchell 2, Collins 3, Merriweather 4. I think that's fair, Tim. Yeah. I like that. I, I would put them in that order. Uh, what What are your thoughts on what else? I know you've been uh, writing about this. You know, what else Nordame needs um, to elevate 
through the portal. Yeah, they need they need I mean they need a starting defensive end next year. Clearly a strong side end. Um and that's definitely what they're going after, which is why Nano Osafa Mensa was let was allowed to leave or told to leave or whatever. However you want to say it these days. Um they need a tackle, offensive tackle. And at this point, a quarterback quarterback's pretty obvious. So we're not doing that one. Um quote, Tim, we did have a question about tight ends. Um what are your thoughts there? That's in the secondary for me, secondary realm for me, because I, I do think you got to be careful if you bring in a starting tight end, how it affects Eli Raritan and Cooper Flanagan. And I'm the weirdest guy in the world to ever admit that in my life, because I just think it just more experienced, the better. Now, if somebody said. Michael Mayer is too extreme, if somebody said like the equivalent of Mitchell Evans, who plays for Tennessee wants to come to Notre Dame and you say, well, I hope this doesn't affect Eli Raritan and Cooper Flanagan because we're going with it. That's that. But I think if you're getting someone that's, you better be pretty clear that you're bringing in the next David Sherwood to help your tight ends room and not the next Eli Raritan. Yeah. And I think, um, yeah, we're talking about what's most needed and I couldn't agree more with, with UTO. I would, I would contend maybe you need um, uh, an anchor for your offensive line slightly ahead of needing a starting defensive end. I think those are the two, biggest points of emphasis and need. And then I think when you look at, at tight end, it's, a it would be a luxury. It would be a value add to your bottom line roster, but it's not the urgency that we see with those other positions. I think you do, have Jack, you do have Jack Larson coming in uh, yeah. he'll be signing soon. Now he's a little bit undersized, uh, but he's quick and he, he's got some wide receiver in him. I just, you always worry about size with a tight end. Because so much of what their work is, is, you know, tied to the line of scrimmage and you need that big body. And if you don't have the height to get the leverage that you need, it's, it's a bit of a concern, but he's got some, he's got some, some movement to him in the passing game. In a well, perfect and, world, you hundred percent need a tight end, but I do think it will affect Eli Raritan a little bit if you bring it. Well, and plus isn't where are we at on Kevin Ballman? I mean, he, he went down in August, so he would have right at, 12 months by the middle, by the midpoint of preseason camp. So that's another body to factor in there. You know, the uh, Evans, Bauman, and Raritan, that is uh, five ACL tears on the three of them. The first rule of ACL tears is don't talk about ACL tears. (laughs) I want to ask you guys this real fast before we move on, because I think it's relevant. Linebacker, if Jack Kaiser doesn't return, is the highest need you cannot roll in there with none of with all the players that are backups. Cause they're not all going to be there either. Like that's a volatile position for, for attrition too. That some of those guys are not going to deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. If, if Kaiser elected not to return, I would argue, you know, we, we do this segment all over again and, <laughs> okay, and, and, and tackle this issue. Once again, that, that completely, <laughs> that completely changes the dynamics, but operating, on the uh, hope for Notre Dame that he is returning, then I I like the the way that we've structured the order of needs. Uh, You do have KVA coming in to play linebacker next year. And I dare say that he's going to, he's going to impact the depth chart uh, right from, from the very beginning. Uh, I love Osbury. I I think Osbury Osbury can, I mean, I'm not disagreeing with you, Tim. I'm yeah, just no, you just need more players. You don't have enough no, I'm players. Not, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not disagreeing. I'm just talking about the other personnel. And I think. I think we both think. Maybe all three of us think. <laughs> excuse me. That uh, Jane Osbury is going to be a really good football player. Oh, I, I love him. He was my number two recruit. 
or that class. Um, I love the guy. Yeah, but and, and... age at linebacker is a thing, man. It matters how how it, you need somebody that's more than a fresh year freshman. Yeah, no. imagine imagine how much better you feel about those young guys if if you've got Kaiser shepherding them along one more year as they're getting so much more substantial playing time. And Drake Bowen is another one. His upside coaches have really loved what he's done over the course of the fall, the way he's improved um, his instincts on the field, the way he's embraced special teams. So he's another one that uh, is seen in the program very much on an ascending arc. And it sounds great to say, I mean, to all of us to say next year's linebackers are Bowen, Osbury, KVA breaks through, Snead is in a pass rushing role. Come on, you need Kaiser with that, and no, then no, you have a linebacker no, core. No doubt about it. I, you know, I I mentioned Osbury because I was kind of looking at Bowen as a given. I think Bowen is Bowen is in that in that lineup, or certainly in the rotation at the beginning of next year. No doubt about it. Question next for question. John Delphic three. Sorry, Tim. What player that didn't get a whole lot of time on the field in twenty three will make an impact next year? I Osbury, Osbury would be one of the guys that I would suggest. Yeah, Drake uh, does Drake Bowen count? I know he played a lot of special teams. Um, both of those guys are great choices. Uh, I'll tell you what, I'm going to start with, because of the opening, I'm starting with Traore. Yeah, that was going to be mine, uh, with the understanding that Osbury would be my overwhelming number one pick in this spot. But I do like what they can, uh, what we saw in, in flashes all the way in camp and then briefly in, in, in games from Bubakar Traore. I think that he has that potential and imagine him with a whole additional year um, in the nutrition room, in the weight room and, and further acclimating to a college program. The first guy that actually came to mind was Luke Tellich. When you think about the safeties lost, you know, hopefully Watts is coming back. DJ Brown, Antonio Carter, Ramon Henderson, Thomas Harper. He was more nickel than, than safety. I remember Tim, weren't we there? JB, you might have been there too. And we were talking to Chris O'Leary and we talked and somebody, maybe you, Tim, asked about Telich, and he said, not this year, but definitely next year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um I like Schuler too, though, at that spot. Maybe the yeah, two, two to make one. Yeah. No, I uh, just for people listening, Christian Gray does not count. We all would say Christian Gray, but yeah. he played a lot. Yeah. You know, I mean, you could say Jagasa, is he going to be? Is he going to be ready by next year? I don't know. That may be premature, but that's that's a name that that comes to mind. Uh, we've heard good things about KK Smith. Yeah, since he oh. got healthy, does yeah, price count? Not really. He's too okay. much rotation, but you can. Yeah, I like I like KK Smith, and um, we're still waiting to see the the full picture on Eli Raritan because I still contend that that guy has stupendous top end ability. Um, and if he stays healthy, then man, you talk about changing the dynamics of the Notre Dame offense with what's come in via the transfer portal, keeping that guy healthy, growing more uh, with Jadarian price and Jeremiah love, then whew, you, you start getting excited at what that can mean for Notre Dame. And I'm going to remain bullish on Brennan Vernon until I see that, you know, he's not that player. I think he is, or, uh, Tim, I think you listen him a defensive tackle. I like him at the strong side end position, but is I that too? This was best? for the that was for the bowl game. I mean, I they need they need no, somebody. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if he in order to move back inside, he'd have to gain a bunch of the weight that he lost to prepare to be a Notre Dame football player, Notre Dame strong side defensive end. So I just, I mean, I have been. He was an early commitment. 
uh, he was adamant about Notre Dame. He, I, I, he's just got a toughness to him uh, that I like. And I think that I, I think he's going to be somebody that, uh, you know, considering their defensive end situation going into next year, there's a good chance we see him next year. Yeah. And there's, this is an interesting question because it was, uh, it was going to involve a wide receiver, <laughs> but you know, there's, I guess KK Smith could still be that guy. I'm really interested to see KK Smith play in this, in this game. Yeah. Cause we heard JB heard great things about him. I didn't hear anything about him early on and maybe it's cause he was out of sight, out of mind. Actually. I mean, the, actually the initial Intel that we got was that he was not going, I mean, before we were, there was thoughts of an injury. He was not going to be a guy that was going to, that they expected to step forward as a freshman. Then there, then there was the, he, I don't know exactly when that injury occurred, but we never got a chance to see him in July and August. No, we never. So yeah, we never saw wow. any of it, but. No, um, there was somebody else I wanted to mention, but we can, we can, uh, that's as, as Tio says, that's bad radio. We'll move on to, uh, Indy Squid 23, it's December 11th. I'm going to split these up, guys. It's yeah. December 11th. Set the over and under on coaching changes still to come at 1.5. Tim O'Malley. You know what I always say, right? <laughs> There's over. I will never say under in December, in mid-December on this question. It's uh, This is an excellent question because I think – I would expect it to be no more than two. I would right. maybe lean toward the under in this situation. Um, look, it's the, the primary one is can you hang on to to Dylan McCullough? Um, and, and we're going to get more into Al Golden and some other stuff in a moment as I peek ahead at the questions. Um, but you know, can you hang on to Dylan McCullough? And can you hang on to Chris O'Leary, or does he get another NFL look again this cycle as he did the last time? I don't expect there to be the uh, the sort of flow of turnover that we saw and nearly saw a year ago. Hey, JB, how about the coveted guy we talked about because it's got to last through the Super Bowl, uh, Mike Mickens? Yeah, that's a great one. I appreciate you asking that, T.O. My understanding is that um, Notre Dame is working very hard to um, secure Mike Mickens' services with the new contract uh, for multiple years. And so um, it's not just – about the Super Bowl, there have been uh, some significant other Power Five suitors in the last ten days um, sniffing around Mike Mickens and trying to uh, potentially make a move there. So I do think that Notre Dame is working very actively and very hard to have a new deal in place for Mike Mickens moving forward. We move on to the question that JB referenced from Coffee Dark Roast: What's more realistic scenario for L. Golden? One, he stays in Notre Dame. Two, he's hired as a college head coach. Or three. He's hired as an NFL defensive coordinator. I'll uh, I'll jump in here. I think it's number one at this point in time. And I once again can pretty confidently say Notre Dame is working on a new extension for Al Golden, a multi-year extension for Al Golden. Uh, he signed a three-year deal when he first got here. Somewhere along those lines uh, is what I would look for in this new one. Uh, and I would, I would point this out. Uh, he really has uh, further embraced what he's doing here at Notre Dame and embrace the the Notre Dame culture and just all that it means. And uh, I was told late last week that for one of these more recent FBS head coaching jobs that came open, a school had interest in speaking with Al Golden for the head coaching position. And um, he declined and said, he's going to continue to um, explore things here with Notre Dame and work to get a new deal in place. 
For that reason, I have two follow-ups. First of all, if Al Golden stays, that helps Jack Kaiser make his final decision. Yeah, that's great. Great point. Way. Yeah. Number yeah. two, have you guys seen Kicking and Screaming? Because when I see the coffee dark roast name, I think of Mike Ditka all of a sudden falling in love with coffee when he's trying to coach the kids' soccer team, and he's like a taste tester for coffee. Anyway, that's what Coffee Dark Roast said to me. And my answers here would be, after JB's info, one, stays, two, hired as a coordinator in the NFL, because maybe that money would just be ridiculous. Yeah. And then three, hired as a college head coach, because if he's kind of been able to fend off that itch right now, I don't know what you fend. Remember, he was a linebacker coach in the NFL, so it'd be another step up if he becomes an NFL defensive coordinator. Yeah, and I, but I think I I agree with JB here. I like the momentum and the the timing of everything. I think where we are right now, I don't think there's a head coaching job that's going to be available that, for him. And you know, uh, he's put himself in a good position for the NFL to come calling, certainly. But I would say I would agree. Number one stays with Nordane is a higher probability at this point. Yeah, and I would just wrap it up real quickly, if you don't mind, by saying Al Golden is among the highest-paid defensive coordinators in all of college football right now. He's right around that $2 million range. Uh, It wasn't until the last few years that NFL coordinators started seeing their salaries sort of jump up there into the range of some of the top-end college football uh, coordinators. So um, I think maybe the Miami Dolphins earlier this year ended up paying three or four million for a defensive coordinator. That was unprecedented money at the time. That did not make it the norm in the NFL. And and Notre Dame has committed uh, in certain spots to um, having their their coordinators and their assistant coaches rewarded very handsomely. And Al Golden is absolutely in that top tier. Plus, Sam Hartman uh, owes him at least one Ferrari, if not two. So that helps too. You can have another. Make a five-car garage, and yeah. Riley Leonard's going to have to do that, too, because Al Golden's going to save him a few times. We have a question from Packy P, and it's a Notre Dame question. JB, you might want to look at it as at, at some of the other uh, programs that you've been around. The question is, who is the best recruit that never lived up to expectations for whatever reason? The one that comes to me, as in Packy P, is always Elvin Miller, parade player of the year. Uh, when that was a thing, which was a long time ago. Injured his knee, never made it back. I have somebody... Somebody popped in my head uh, immediately. Uh, Tim, who comes to mind for you? I got to start with honoring the late, great Lou Samoji, who said of Alvin Miller, if he looked at AstroTurf, he tore his ACL. <laughs> oh, man. And they were playing on AstroTurf. That was <laughs> the real stuff. Too. A, 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 yeah, a thin piece of carpet over cement. <laughs> it I just looks um... awful on those old highlights. Now oh. you see that stuff. <laughs> I would probably point towards uh, Torrance Gibson. The uh, QB recruit that was so ballyhooed just a few years ago, signed with Ohio State, uh, right as Urban Meyer had the Buckeyes trending back upward, maybe coming off uh, Ohio State's national championship year under Urban Meyer. He was this coveted recruit from SEC programs, uh, from West Coast programs. It was one of the wildest. I can't imagine what that recruitment would look like in today's landscape with the legality of, of NIL. That was one of the wildest recruitments I can remember. Uh, he flamed out at Ohio State, ended up at a Mississippi JUCO, and then just completely sort of dissolved into a bust from there. Um, and it was unfortunate because he didn't have great people around him that that truly looked out for his long-term best interests. Uh, he was a splendid talent, but just met, never made anything. For, I mean, he was a consensus top 100 player from every from every outlet the way I remember it and was just absolutely electric. You know, when you go for a different team real fast, because before I get back to Notre Dame, what about Willie Williams, the linebacker that went to Miami about 
15 years ago, was it? I know he was arrested for burglary in 2013, but that, he was, well, that, he was like an all-time recruit. Yeah. That's the guy that that's the guy that on his recruiting visit, on his official visit, ordered double lobsters and double steaks just because he could. Like it was crazy. <laughs> like there's stories out there about it. What he did on the recruiting visit was nuts. Just like when Randy Moss uh, took his official visit to the University of Tennessee, he made them open up the indoor pool just because he wanted to go off the diving board in the indoor pool and then made him cook like uh, waffles instead of pancakes for breakfast or something. It was just absolute madness. I like the double lobster and double steak because it's like John Cocktosen uh, in Fletch, you know, when he said, I love the steak sandwich and the steak sandwich. Two yeah. on Perignon. Tim, um, recently, recently chose to rewatch Fletch. Well, as well, you should. I mean, oh. it's December. It should be an annual event. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Tim, uh, do you hear the, uh, I'm sure Digger told you this story. Digger Phelps had a recruit on campus and he was staying, he must have been staying at the Morrison. Because there were no other, there were no other hotels at this point, <laughs> but Digger had a recruit on campus, and he rang up like massive, um, long distance phone call bill, and he told Digger to pay it for him, and Digger's like, "We don't do that. That's a recruiting violation," and that was Magic Johnson. <laughs> I would have paid that bill a hundred <laughs> times over. Yeah, I get that. Uh, wow. So, y- your answer is Elvin Miller. Tim, is that what you're saying? Yeah, I think my era growing up, Mike Miller was one. He wasn't as good as Alvin Miller, though. But Mike Miller got a lot of hype because of the Rocket. And he wasn't a total bust, either. He made some plays. Um, No, he definitely did. Yeah, Um, yeah. Um, I mean, Chris is kind of... I like got a Mike in mind. Go ahead. What's yours? Mike McNair. Oh, yeah. He's probably number one for not contributing. Yeah, the running back out of California who I just thought his high school film was absolutely sensational. And he just... He just couldn't get on the field for Notre Dame. You know, I mean, he's battling a significant amount of talent, but that was a, that was a guy that just uh, I don't think we ever really completely understood why. I, <laughs> I that might have been back in the day when the the highlight uh, VHF VHS tapes that you received might have been sped up a little bit. Man, that Mike McNair's fast. Well, yeah, because it's <laughs> a little bit speeded up. What we used to do for the old uh, Blue and Gold Illustrated uh, film review, film uh, VHS tapes was incredible because you were you were cutting and pasting that stuff together, man. You know who was a Parade All-American at Notre Dame when I was there? I want to get the name right. Defensive end from Chicago. Remember Anthony Jones? Yeah. He was supposed to be great. Yeah. He was he was a self-aware college student that did not care about playing football. Yeah, there's a few of those that actually that has an effect on a lot of the guys. The people that are injuries should not count like Alvin Miller. I never want to say guys that just yeah, I no wouldn't chance. say Alvin personally. I wouldn't. I understand why Packy P did personally. Yeah. I wouldn't say that because that's beyond his control. Right. Speaking of beyond our control. Final question. Irish M. What are your expectations for the Sun Bowl? And pretty sure you said it was the game, right? Not the Sun Bowl. Like yeah, the, the, the word we dare not speak. The game, I put Sun Bowl in there. <laughs> I, you know, I like. I really have. I, I've really kind of just backed away of watching a whole lot of film because I want to see what, you know, what we're looking at with Oregon State and getting a full awareness of Notre Dame. But as time goes on, the Oregon State guys are opting out more and more. They have a couple offensive. Really, I mean, if those two injured offensive linemen don't play, then they're down three starters on the offensive line. Uh, their leading tackler, Easton Mascarenas Arnold, has opted out. 
Uh, he is the, the will linebacker. Their free safety, Akili Arnold, has opted out. He's the number four tackler. They've already lost uh, cornerback Jermad McCoy, who's opted out. He had a couple picks this year. I think they still have their pass rushers, but, uh, you know, I mean, I hate, like I cringe when people say it's a glorified scrimmage. I don't want to admit that. I'm, I cling to this bowl system, but damn. I mean, it's just... You know, I, I fear for, I, I've always loved the bowl system. Uh, I love the daily games, but I fear for the future of it, especially with the 12-team the playoff coming up. Yeah, I think this is um, this is the year that, that's probably going to cause uh, a reckoning, if not a reset in the bowl systems uh, moving forward, whether it's immediately next year or a couple of years down the road. There are just going to be so many of these contests that are complete shells uh, for the teams that are going to actually take the field. I will counter, however, it's an incredibly valuable opportunity for the young kids at Oregon State that are transitioning to a new head coach who are saying, maybe we'll give this guy a chance and I still might transfer at the end of spring and at least I'll have this Sun Bowl game film. And I would argue it's an incredible opportunity for the the young people at, at Notre Dame. And we've talked at length about how Marcus Freeman has elevated Notre Dame recruiting in some several key areas both as defensive coordinator and now in his two full seasons as head coach. So I think those young people that are going to be forced to play while the fans are maybe like, gosh, we don't recognize this team. I think you're going to see a bunch of guys that are really fired up to actually go play because it's such a tremendous opportunity for them. And since we've talked multiple times about the transfer portal here um, on today's podcast, I will note that the current window closes January 2nd. The spring window, again, is much shorter now. The spring window used to be like three months long, and you could go in at any time. That is not the case anymore. It is now just two weeks, I believe the final 15 days of April. Um, coaches wanted to move it out of May, again, for roster management, trying to get the calendar back right. So just a couple of little housekeeping cleanup items there to note about the transfer portal. I think I expect good defense because there's no Joe Alt, no Audric Estime, no Blake Fisher, no Sam Hartman. And Notre Dame is bringing to the table against Oregon State's opt-outs. Benjamin Morrison, Jack Kaiser, Howard Cross, Riley Mills, J.D. Bertrand, Christian Gray, and Thomas Harper. And if those guys all play, Oregon State's third-string quarterback is not going to have a good game. No, good point, Tim and, and J.B. And, and you know, J.B., you talk about opportunities for, for players. I mean, Emil Wagner and, and, and Tosh Baker have a chance to uh, dissuade Notre Dame from going out mm-hmm. and looking for another offensive offensive tackle and I would throw Jagas in there I think they might prefer him at guard but this is a the extremely guard heavy offensive line room now so yeah a, a great opportunity there um certainly and uh, Drake Bowen's a you know the future of Notre Dame at linebacker but to have the opportunity to uh to to start a game here perhaps and and get the ball rolling it's a it's a great chance for him and and Osbury can play this game and it doesn't impact his redshirt status. So that's that's also very key to note. Very interested to uh to see uh what those guys can do. Tim, you talked about Sam Hartman announced today. Uh they generally try to go once one a day or so. Who do you think is next or where are we headed with this? I mean, I would assume I thought yeah. Hart would have gone before Hartman, but I would think Cam Hart would be next. Um I can't imagine Cam Hart playing. So Cam, I think Cam Hart's next. I think maybe they'll save Joe Alt for last. JB, you think you think JD Bertrand's going to opt out? 
I would be stunned by that. Um, and and you would know this vastly better than me, Tim, with with your uh, TP, with your historical perspective on this great program. But if, if J.D. Bertrand opted out. I know what you're going to say. I know what you're going to say, Dame, John. It's terrible. Would Notre Dame have ever played a bowl game without a team captain on the field? I don't, or, I don't know. I, I can't imagine so because this program is so freaking storied. Um, but if J.D. Bertrand opted out, Notre Dame literally wouldn't have a team captain on the field for the game. I can't imagine that happening. I don't think that's who um, – I don't think that's remotely what J.D. Bertrand is about. I don't either. Uh, I want to hear the words, though. I, I, I think as as time goes on, there's a greater chance that he plays in the game. Yes, I feel like uh, he would have opted out I, out of the reason yeah. opt out already. But we know that he – has at least struggled with that decision at, at, at yeah. some point along here in the process. Uh, I think him and Kaiser. <laughs> yeah. I think it's very important to have him and Kaiser on the field for this game. I think that, that, that assures it, it keeps your defense together. Um, but we'll see. I, I think I said on podcast, if JD Bertrand opts out every single player in the history of Notre Dame football, moving forward, is a candidate to opt out because if J.D. Bertrand opts out, anybody can. Honestly, uh, the optics of all four captains opting out rather than three of the four, even though it's just insanely worse, even though it's not that much worse. <laughs> like, it's it's just crazy if that happens. All right, we're going to be back on Thursday, December 14th. Hopefully we can start turning our attention to the football game here and get, get serious about it, but I, I get it. It's difficult to focus on that when, when, uh, you know, you're trying to, not only are you trying to stock your team for a bowl game, but you're trying to stock your team moving into 2024. So we'll keep you, uh, we'll keep you posted on that. We'll certainly keep you posted on Riley Leonard's decision. And you can find all of this on Irish Illustrated, irishillustrated.com. This has been Irish Illustrated Insider. <laughs>